It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. G'day, my name is Anthony Daniel. Today we're talking to Reposit Power. They are a Canberra-based software startup working on how solar panel generation and storage can facilitate us away from fossil fuel generation. Luke Osborne is their Chief Operating Officer and one of their directors, and he joins us from Canberra. G'day, Luke. G'day, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the show, and it's great to see innovative Australian startups doing some fantastic stuff in the sector. And I just wanted to get started. We, like, we always start these interviews and learn a little bit about you personally first, and a bit of your professional background and how you ended up where you are. Okay, well, I started in the defence industry as a mechanical engineer, uh, working on aerospace projects and very innovative Australian projects actually based in Melbourne. But when the first version of the Renewable Energy Target and the John Howard was released, my father rang me and said, I'm getting a lot of um, wind energy developers knocking on my door. I come from a rural family and uh, I got very interested in this. I'd seen early wind turbines when I was in Europe in the mid-90s and really wanted to work in that industry, had a lot of interest in it. So I went back home and helped Dad to negotiate and, the, and my wider family, who, who are our neighbours, negotiate with the wind energy companies and uh, that became what's now the capital wind farm on the, the shores of Lake George. And following that experience, I thought, well, this is an industry I really could be involved with. So went and joined WindLab, which is another innovative startup based up here in Canberra. They were a startup at the time. It was a long time ago now. They'd been a spin-out from CSIRO, and I was also the chief operating officer at that company, and we grew that into an international company operating in Africa and North America and Canada. And increasingly, during my time in, in wind energy, I began to see that the relationship with neighbours and so forth could be improved, and we could improve the acceptance and the, the benefits for rural Australia from projects if we did them differently. So. I finished my career in the wind industry, or that part of my career, developing the Canoe Bridge Project, which is a shared benefits project near Bendigo, where the neighbours of the wind farm are shareholders. And that project recently won a contract from the ACT government and reached financial closing a few weeks ago. So, from there, I, I wanted to, to start again with a with a new innovative innovative company and and joined Reposit about eighteen months ago. And tell us a bit about the history of Reposit. Were you one of the founders or did you come in at a later stage? No, the two founders, both, both from Sydney actually, moved to Canberra specifically to, to start Reposit because Canberra is both a, a great place to live but also has a really supportive environment for new energy companies in particular. So you might be aware that Canberra's got this 90% by 2020 target, so 90% renewable by 2020. And as part of the contracts it's letting, it is supporting local businesses. So there's, there's extra points for bidders who support local businesses. And that's great for a company like ours. It gives us a lot of opportunity for commercial contracts and so forth. But D90 
and Lachlan, the two founders, they they moved up from Sydney. Lachlan's a PhD in control systems and quantitative analysis, and Dean has a background in energy, particularly around enterprise software. So he came out of a company called Energy Response, which which was eventually bought by the leader in demand response, Enanoc. And before that, he was in banking. So he's really good at putting the infrastructure around this, making sure that we have software that's safe and secure and does what it's supposed to do. And Lachlan's really the brains in terms of making the algorithms that, that underpin what Reposit does, which I'm sure we're going to hear about in a minute. So those two guys had got together. They had developed proof of concept for what they were wanting to do. And uh, I joined them to help them put the business around it. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, yeah, before we get into a bit more detail about Reposit, maybe it might be a good idea to, to really talk about the industry that it's entering and, and, and the current sort of regulatory situation we have in, in Australia. Now, long-term listeners of the show will be familiar with how the East Coast energy market operates, but perhaps you could give us a bit of a, an overview of um, who the different players are and, and how that splits into our various components of our energy bills. Well, that's a good question. So obviously we have generators and then we have transmission companies who uh, have the high voltage coat hanger style lines and then uh, then distribution companies who break that down into lower voltages and essentially arrive at, at, at consumers. And we have things called retailers which are really, they're there to shield the consumer from the vagaries of, of the spot market. So, and then of course we have consumers and what's been happening Recently, well, they were broken apart, of course, and and I think the listeners will be aware that generation and retail re-aggregated in order to manage the risk. So there was a lot of volatility in the wholesale electricity markets, and retailers re-aggregated back with generators, and those are called um, we typically call those gen tailors, and the three big ones in in this country. Um, yeah, so so there so there is a a market where. The, the wholesale price, that is the price that a retailer pays, is variable, um, and that's because obviously the demand and supply can vary at certain times. But like you said, the retailers shield that price from from the from the consumers who generally pay a, pay a fat tariff. So while the, the consumer would have a have a choice of retailer, that it really is a limited choice, isn't it? Because all retailers effectively buy from the same wholesale market, and uh, so. Yeah, that's right. So we have in Australia what's called an energy market. There are other types of markets around the world, but in an energy market, all generators have to offer their energy and the price into into a market, and that's a that's a, an auction where the market operator says, "I think we're going to need so many so much electricity in the next five minutes. Who can offer?" And they all make an offer, and he takes the lowest price versions of that, but it actually gets quite volatile, so on a hot afternoon, the generators start bidding higher and higher prices, and so you can get very, very high prices, which go as high as $13 a kilowatt hour, so typically a retail tariff that we would see at the consumption end about $0.30, cents, so it's going up to $13 on the wholesale market. So to manage that, we have these things called retailers. You don't want to expose consumers to that. Retailers essentially buy out of that market and present it to consumers at effectively a level price. I know there are time of use tariffs and so forth. So your bill at home would be about 50% dedicated to running the poles and wires and the remaining 50% is split between retail profits and the generators that uh, generate the power, which still in Australia is dominated by thermal generation. 
Right, right. And, uh, you know, while, you know, obviously people who, uh, most people would be passive consumers and, yeah, that they, ha- they have a flat uh, retail tariff in most cases. But what's uh, increasing people's involvement in, in energy matters these days, of course, is, is the solar panels that sit on a lot of people's roofs these days. And they can actually make money back from selling the, the, the solar uh, the electricity they develop from their solar panels. So, how, what kind of a, what kind of relationship do people generally have when they have solar panels on their roofs in terms of getting money back for putting energy back into the grid? So, solar panels, of course, that's become cheaper, and and Australia is a world leader in rooftop solar panels, particularly in residential settings. So, we've been a real early adopter and and and, and have far more of those than say the US has. And what those people are doing under old regulated feed-in tariff schemes that existed for some time. They're getting paid to put power back into the grid. People who are buying them more recently might get a small feed-in tariff from their, their retailer, but they're no longer regulated, regulated schemes, and they're typically quite small. So anyone who's put a solar panel in some time ago under a feed-in tariff is really incentivised to, to pump as much of that solar out onto the grid. But more recently, the incentives have swapped where people are putting them in and it's much better or you're much better off consuming your own solar rather than putting it back onto the grid because if you put it back onto the grid you might be paid six cents or five cents or sometimes nothing and if you consume it yourself you're avoiding buying power at say 30 35 cents and up to 50 cents in some in some areas of australia yeah so so, so what what yes yeah, so that's really swapped hasn't it got to the, when the point where what you could get from your feed in tariff was considerably more than you would pay for electricity coming in but now it's it's flipped so the incentive is for someone to use as much of the of the energy that they produce from their solar panels locally but you talked about the, the the wholesale market though and the fact that the prices can spike and what's stopping your everyday consumer having a more sophisticated relationship with the grid so they can perhaps respond better because obviously if if I'm selling back to the grid at a time when there's high demand I should get reward for that shouldn't I Yeah that's right so there's a couple of things stopping you doing it one is that you've never been able to access those markets that's really been a market for uh, incumbents and big, big energy businesses, in other words. So you just can't get into that market. So that's the first problem. And the second problem with solar panels without storage, which we're going to talk about in a minute, without storage, you've got no means of timing your exports into that market. So you, you're what we would call unscheduled or intermittent. So you just put power back in when the sun shines. And that doesn't allow you to time your your exports into those what are usually quite brief spikes of very high prices. So that's a really good segue into how we can come in and talk about uh, Reposit Power's offering. And you've got this uh, concept of green credits. Can you perhaps introduce us us to that? So grid credits is a, a word that we use to talk about money that, that people can earn if they now have storage that changes the game and they now have an energy system. They can operate in three modes. What they can do is they can buy when power is cheap so they can look at the wholesale market and sometimes it even goes negative so they can be paid to consume. You can look at that and you can say, well, I'm going to consume when it makes sense from the grid. When things are a bit moderate, I might just self-consume. So what we can do is use the storage to inject back into my house when I need the power, so it charges from solar and injects back into my house. And there's a third mode where you might want to sell into those high-priced events, and they can come from a variety of sources. One is the energy market we just talked about. You 
can also be paid to support the network and keep the network balanced. So now that storage has arrived, consumers can be much more active in participating and gain some of that upside from doing that. And by doing that, you're helping helping the grid be more resilient to a lot of renewables, which are intermittent and do pose challenges when we get a lot of renewables that poses challenges in keeping the grid balanced. So what we can do now with houses that can time their imports and exports in reflection of what's going on in those markets out there, what you're doing is you're balancing the surges and and drops in, say, wind and and solar that was going on elsewhere in the grid. That's incredible. So there's those two shoes to drop. There's market access, which is, of course, enabled by a a sophisticated software system that that you offer, Mm -hmm. as well as that storage to be able to pick and choose when you are moving energy one way or the other. We spoke to some gentlemen from Sunverge a month or so back who were producing software to be used mainly by utilities to make optimal use of solar panel generation and battery storage in their networks. But who are are Reposit's customers? Are they more likely to be the consumers themselves who have solar on their roof and, and purchasing storage? Yeah, so yes, that's right. So if you have a look at our website, we talk very much to consumers and what we do is act on behalf of consumers who are buying this hardware. So it's your hardware if you buy it and we act on your behalf and help you access these markets and make that that hardware and that's your solar, your storage and, and any appliances that you want to switch off in response to these markets. We help you do all that so that you can have the shortest payback period or the highest return, however you want to put it. So what I, um, I think a good analogy is a, is a power station, a traditional big power station has a team of people who trade that power station into these markets and they decide what to bid into the market we talked about earlier and when to switch these power stations on and off. We make a piece of software that does that on your behalf. So what it does is monitor what's going on in the markets, what's going on with weather, your own consumption patterns, and it makes the optimal decision about what uh, what to do at any point. And as I say, that can do three things. It can help you consume at low prices, it can help you sell at high prices, and it can help you essentially go off grid for for perhaps the whole day or part of the day. So what it'll do is stop your revenue meter by intelligently controlling your storage device. Would the consumer still have a retailer for, for incoming energy and then and then selling energy back to the grid or is, it, is the relationship different? This kind of technology does allow for innovation in retailing. So what you talked about earlier is retailers, their offerings are all much the same and you know people have looked at changing retailer and many of your listeners probably have changed retailers. Many of their offerings are very, very similar and that's because they're all buying from the same market, they're all moving it across the same transmission lines, they're all subject to the same constraints as each other. So, But now that you have consumers who can behave in this way, you can have a much different relationship with electricity. It's much more transactive, you can be much more in control. So whilst for regulatory reasons there still needs to be entities with retail authorisations, so they're regulated by the government to ensure that they provide a, a good, reliable, safe product to you, they can have quite different products when people acquire these energy systems. So I think we'll see a lot more innovation in what offerings you see 
those will come from, I think, a number of different companies, not just Reposit. Right, right. Well, we're on the Beyond Zero show and we're speaking to Luke Osborne, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Reposit Power, a software startup in Canberra. And I wanted to just maybe go into a bit more of the uh, the market opportunity. And very often when you see analyses of, of storage, people talk about you know what's going to make storage viable. But they're making a lot of assumptions, aren't they, about well, what market the storage will come into. And very often they're, they're thinking about somebody who is only really has the retail offerings that are available to them right now. And then for them to have to purchase storage and make it useful, how cheap would storage have to get? But how does what Reposit offers change that, that equation? So our job is to make the storage as viable as possible for you. And if you're simply buying storage to manage your own solar shifting, we call it, so move solar from, say, the middle of the day to the afternoon, the economics are quite challenging to make that work in in all, all circumstances right now in Australia, perhaps some markets where we've got a very high peak rate, it makes more sense, but it's still quite challenging to make that work. So what we're doing is we're looking for these what are quite short-term events and selling some of your energy into those events. So day in, day out, your storage behaves in much the same way. It is shifting from middle of the day to the afternoon typically, but it's very occasionally you would see the storage discharge into the grid and that really changes the economics and often it will halve the payback period. So not only is it a much more economic way to go, it's actually much more interesting too. It makes you know, our early customers are really engaged with this process and you can see uh, as you make a sale, you can see what we call grid credits, this, this number on our, uh, on our dashboard go up and you've made a sale and, and for that day you've made a profit on your electricity. Yeah, and, but how do you ensure in that stage that, that you manage the user's risk? I mean, obviously, that the sponge effect allows storage to uh, you know, take advantage of those price fluctuations, but w- what kind of smart software do you have in place to ensure that they're, that they're not going to be short of energy and, and perhaps be exposed? Like on a hot day, I can imagine you would, um, you would want to uh, sell as much as possible into the grid and when, when the price spikes, but you also don't want to make sure that this same, this same uh, consumer doesn't have to buy back because they're, they're using a lot of energy as well. So there's a lot of, lot of smarts going to the algorithm that makes sure that, that that all works out, but the worst thing that can happen here is that you buy back at your retail tariff and you've sold at a very much higher price. So... So it will occasionally say, actually, I'm better off to export and leave the storage fully discharged because the prices were so good that that was the financially optimal thing to do for that day. Most days it wouldn't do that, but some, occasionally it will. And it will even look forward to what the generation's likely to be during the forthcoming day or, or several days ahead, and it will repair the battery. If there's going to be a series of cloudy days, it'll start looking for off-peak events to charge charge that way so it's very smart as far as you know the markets go we're not exposing consumers to the downsides of markets so what you're doing is you're you're only on the sell side so you're not exposed to the, the, the trading risks as such you're you're only you're only ever selling if that makes sense yeah, yeah understood understood and is, does does demand response play a role at all i can imagine that in that situation where you want to maximize the amount of energy that you're selling to the to the grid it, yeah, during peak times, reducing demand on the on the consumer side would be an advantage. So, are any of those options being explored? Yep. So the system will do that. Uh, it, it 
directly interface us back into network, the software that runs the networks, the, the poles and wires, there's the software systems that run that. So the system is aware of what's going on in your local network and the, the networks are able to, if they choose, to buy power from you when the network's under stress. So that might occur when there's an outage in a line somewhere in your in your area it might that might uh, reroute power through a particular network segment if that sort of thing occurs they can buy power from you and you start discharging into the grid which then lowers the current flowing through that network segment and relieves the network um, with, with a lot of trading uh, and you know you see this a lot in financial markets are you at all sensitive to what your own activity could do to the market itself you know we talk a lot of, you know you're taking advantage of the price spikes but the price spikes exist because there is a big mismatch between supply and demand at, at certain times so could the very success of a, of a scheme like this and and the proliferation of storage across the network actually have a real dampening effect on those peaks and, and potentially then affect the economics of the people who come next and want to put a system like this in? Initially, we're, uh, we're a very small part of a, of, a, of a quite large system, so I think those sort of effects would be a long way off. But you can, if you think long way ahead, you can imagine a scenario where, and I look, I hope this comes to pass, we've, we've got a, a, a fully renewable grid and we have, say, a lot of wind farms, which makes sense to have centralised generation coming from wind farms. They're not something you can do in urban areas. And a lot of solar, which is more of an urban technology in my view. Uh, we could have a grid like that where, where the, the, there's a lot of fluctuations that come from the weather and not so much from demand, which is being managed by these smart systems. So what, we've, what we used to have is big thermal generators. We'd put all the control onto the generators. We'd turn those up and down and we'd have consumers which were out of control just putting their kettles on and off when they felt like it. I think we could move to a, we can see a scenario where we we lose control at the generation end because they're renewable, but we gain the control at the consumers. So there is this counterbalancing as we as we add more more control at the uh, at the consumer end. Yes, we might balance things out, but then we're continuing, I hope anyway, to add more renewable generation, which tends to add the volatility back. Yeah, so so the peaks and troughs may not be as predictable, but you'll, your software will be able to take advantage of them even even in those circumstances. Yeah. It's quite and interesting. What, we've got a really elegant market here in Australia, and what we do is we turn engineering requirements into dollars. That's what our spot market does. So it's saying, I have an engineering requirement for a lot of kilowatts right now that's reflected in a high price. So we turn that engineering requirement into dollars and then everyone responds to the dollars. This system does much the same thing and that elegant system that we have can live into this new world of much smarter demand side. Fantastic. Well, let's uh, let's lose, use our last five minutes to talk a bit about uh, where you're at right now and you, you currently have a pilot scheme going in Canberra that you alluded to earlier. Uh, how's that going? That's going really well. We've got some great pioneering customers up here who have invested in storage and invested in our software that goes with it. So we work with a number of storage types, but they're working with a storage from a company called Magellan, which is an Australian manufacturer who has really come out of the mining industry producing storage for mine sites, and they've moved into residential systems recently, and we really like working with their gear because it works really well. So those customers invested in that storage, a lot of them already had solar, uh, and we're putting our control system on, and they're really showing what can be done. And uh, as I say, great pioneers for this new technology. Uh, and we're really happy, and we're going to start publishing 
going on there. When people talk about the, the viability of this, I mean, we've talked about how the economics are a little different and take better advantage of storage, but, you know, the cost of storage is still seen as quite quite significant. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, Tesla announced the, the Powerwall, which is you know, obviously a, a, a new era in, in storage and, and you, have, you have announced a, a partnership with them. But before we get to maybe to what that could entail, could you maybe give us a bit of context as to how significant the announcement was based on perhaps the cost of, of, of the unit and or, or the how it's going to enter the market? I know that Elon Musk is an incredible self-promoter, um, but there are plenty of storage companies out there and people doing this kind of stuff. So was there anything specific that, and significant in real terms that, that came out of that announcement? Well, I think the, the remarkable part of what they announced was firstly the price. So it, it's a price much lower than what we've been seeing in the market to date. That made it remarkable, but also the industrial design of the device is really, really lovely. So it's, it's a lovely looking device. It uses a lot of the IP that Tesla's developed in terms of how to make lithium polymer storage cost-effective and their thermal management and so forth. So, so those were great. And the other thing about it is that, well, it fits very nicely with our models. So what they're producing is, is a DC power pack, which would then go through an inverter and back onto the AC side. We interface actually with inverters, so our software runs on the inverter. So very nice architecture from our point of view. And we've had huge interest since we announced that we would be supporting that device in the Australian market and hopefully eventually in the international market too. Okay, so then I guess my last question is just talk a bit about uh, someone who owns solar panels right now and may consider storage in the future and, and, and making use of a service such as yours. Balance of system costs is a lot of what people talk about in terms of solar, that despite the fact that the solar panels have gone down in price, that getting access to the roof, getting up there, then running the, the DC off the roof and doing all that is still an expensive part of the process and needs to be done on a, on a site-by-site basis. As the price of storage comes down, Will people see the balance of system costs stay stubbornly high, perhaps in the same way as solar has, or, or can you expect something else, considering the fact that this is just a fridge thing you put, or, or something you just place in a wall inside a room? Can, can the balance, would the balance of system costs be significantly lower? Yeah, that's a good question. So we are still at the early stage of this market, so there's some unclearness in all this, but the experience we've had is that once you work out how to transport storage devices and, and install them efficiently, they're actually much faster to install and much easier to install than solar panels are. Of course, that makes sense to go in together, really, in the long term. But uh, yes, yeah, so, so we should see that in, install price come right down. There are various hybrid inverters around now, and, and the, uh, the Tesla will work with hybrid inverters that allow you to share one inverter between solar panels and storage, which again makes a lot of sense and it'll bring the overall cost of gaining this new energy system, as I call it, uh, that'll bring that cost down to much more manageable levels. So I think we will see a future where we talk about not solar panels and not storage, but we talk about energy systems and we make that energy system aware of what's going on around, responsive and able to exchange energy with other people and essentially use the grid not as a source of power, but as a way of trading between parties that have those systems. Fantastic. That's a great place to leave it, a great vision for the future. So thanks for joining us today, Luke. Thanks, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. You've been speaking to Luke Osborne from Reposit Power. And uh, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, Repositpower.com, very easily. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, you've been, the Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions. If you 
um, want to find out more about what we do, visit us at bze.org.au. My name's Anthony Daniel. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.